Have you been scrolling through many, many, many film podcasts thinking there's far too many of these? Or have you been thinking there's something missing? There's something we're not quite getting. A waffler from Northern England reviewing films, for example. Welcome to oh, Review It Yourself. No politics, no pandering, no point. Welcome to Review It Yourself. I'm Sean, I'm your host. I was going to say host for the most, but I'm not claiming that. And today we're going to be talking about Dawn of the Dead. So George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which came out in 1978. And this might be the first podcast that goes over 30 minutes, because there's a lot to talk about in this one. I've literally got about four or five pages of notes alone so we'll see how we get on so the film which is written and directed by george a romero stars david mj he plays stephen or the flyboy the pilot ken foray uh plays peter a swat team guy scott raining raininger is it plays roger and galen ross plays fran or francine and you know, the film starts off with this iconic opening. There's this red carpet. And then you see Fran, who's asleep. And somebody wakes her up. And it turns out it's like the back room, this little back room in a, a newsroom, like a broadcasting centre. And basically, you know, the, the guy wakes her up and says, are you all right? The so-and-so's really hit the fan. And you see that they're playing these lists of rescutations and they're arguing with each other. There's hell on. There's absolute hell on. You can see it's chaotic. Things are really starting to fall apart very, very quickly. And she pulls the list of radio, uh, not radio stations. She pulls the list of rescue stations down because half of them have gone already. And she's saying, you know, we can't, we can't be sending people to rescue stations that are already knocked out. You will be killing people. And and there's two guys arguing. There's a scientist and a presenter. And they're arguing with each other. And the scientist saying, you know, everybody that isn't exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. And that, anyway, sorry for that awful impression. And you see... The, the scientists really trying to get across, you know, you need to destroy the brain. You need to, you, know, you need to kill them. You need to think logically about this. And the presenter is basically just like, you know, I'm not, not sure how much to believe that they're, they're swearing at each other. You know, the, the station's really falling down around them. People are leaving. I think at the end, there's only one manager in, in the top box kind of saying, can somebody show me how to use this? Cause obviously he's just a supervisor. He doesn't know how to actually do anything. Or so it seems anyway. And, you know, the soundtrack is by the Goblins and uh, Dario Argento, who helped fund the film. And, you know, it, it switches. Uh, I think it's Philadelphia. So I think they're in, I think in the behind the scenes, it says it's the projects, which I presume is like a housing development. And, you know, the, 
one of the SWAT team guys. So you, you, this is where we meet Peter and Roger. And Roger is ready to go to go in with you know the, the other SWAT members. You don't see Peter until later on. And obviously there's one of the guys there who's, who's you know, an out-and-out racist and he's saying, you know, let's go in and get these Puerto Ricans. And he uses some quite foul racial language, you know, but he's he's very help to, to go and excited to go and attack this, attack this place. I don't know if it's to do with drugs or whatever. We're not entirely sure. I mean, I'm not sure if it's about, about, um, drugs or that kind of thing. I only I only say that because people charge out with guns. Although, I, or I don't understand. I don't understand if it's just about the undead that are in there because there's a lot of people living there. It's it's very confusing. I I just got the impression it was something criminal that was going on. So, and obviously, I you assume it's. Something drug related. I don't know if there's anything said. That might just be an impression I've got. Rightly or wrongly, I'm probably wrong. It's, and the, you know, the, the 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 people inside the building come out all guns blazing. And the they quickly get shot by the SWAT team members. The SWAT team members uh, go in the building, and the guy, the, the racist guy who is leading the squad that Roger's in. He's just shooting anything that moves. He's not, he's attacking all these flats. That This is why I don't get, I don't think it's about the undead because they, they attack all the flats and start shooting. He starts shooting everybody. Obviously, I know he's, he's a bit crazy. And, you know, Roger tries to stop him and uh, Peter ends up saving him. And then we start to see some, some, some of the undead and you see that they've got this kind of, I think it's supposed to be gray from the behind the scenes. Tom Savini, who was did the special makeup effects. He has admitted the gray coloring was a mistake. Cause it didn't really, they appeared blue obviously in the first film, night of the living dead, that was 1968. So it was black and white. So they didn't need to do makeup effects on, you know, to do with color. And so one of the shot, uh, the shot, one of the SWAT guys uh, shoots himself, kills himself after shooting, you know, this family of, of zombies. He can't cope with it and he shoots himself. And, you know, the effects are very, very bloody. You know, the first 10 minutes, there's, you know, neck and arm bites, missing limbs. There's a, a head blown off with a shotgun. Literally, it was it was a model, and they shot a real shotgun at it. So that blows up everywhere. It's a real quick start. This film makes a good impression, and a very bloody impression actually. And so Roger invites Peter and says, "You know, I've got a friend with a helicopter. Who you gather is Stephen, our flyboy." Then the there's a basement scene. And you see the, the the famous basement scene. The undead are basically down there eating flesh, and Peter shoots them. But obviously he's disgusted. And why did the you know Roger asks why did they keep them here? And Peter says because you know they still believe there's dignity in death. And so this is the first instance really of something this film does that that zombie films don't 
don't tend to do in the genre. It explores things like dignity, death. You know, George Romero's films always have this undercurrent of a commentary on society in his films. And um, we'll come on to some later examples. So basically, Roger, Peter, Stephen and Fran, they meet up and they have the helicopter, which obviously is owned by the company, um, the broadcasting company, and they, they take that and they fly away. And you, you figure out that Stephen and Fran are together and they as they're flying, they, they go through the countryside and they see uh, the US Army and, and rednecks, as they put it, hunting the undead and they realize it's nationwide and obviously that scene there's you know the national guards there drinking barbecuing and then a few guys just leisurely put down the beers and shoot a couple of undead that are walking up to them there that that scene actually when you look at the behind the scenes that it was filmed in pittsburgh outside of pittsburgh with the pittsburgh national guard the police um lots of people they were all volunteer lots of people from you know local residents and they basically were invited and they all volunteered to come brought all the tanks their equipment so that buys an awful lot of production value when you have real tanks and real guns and real weapons and it's a very interesting um very interesting situation and interesting scenes those because you see that it's almost like a party and then every now and again, you know, there's a couple of guys sniping and you think they're shooting at these targets, but it's actually undead people on, on top of like the crest of a hill. And they're like, oh God, I missed. And they have another shot on it. You know, it, it starts to ask questions that I think George Romero's films do early on. And then as he gets further on in the the uh, Living Dead series, he asks, you know, is humanity worth saving? But obviously it's a, it's a lot more subtle in this film, really. And they land the, the helicopter. They check out some hangars. Um, Peter hears a noise because he's sat having a coffee because he's checking out kind of this office and it's, it's an out of order and he punches it and it gets him a coffee. So he's sat down just waiting while they refuel. It seems like this, you know, then some kids run out of this cupboard and try and attack him and he shoots them. So that's quite shocking. You don't, you don't tend to get undead kids in film in zombie films very often unless it's done for a particular scene so in 28 days later there's the part where jim kills the the boy in like the that burger joint it's the first person he kills and it shocks him or in what's the other one it's gone right out of my head oh yes of course the remake of john of the dead where there's a little girl they don't tend to have zombie kids in films which is a bit interesting i don't know if it's a decision of they presume the kids would just get killed straight off because obviously the smaller and weaker and anyway although dawn of, the, dawn of the dead the remake did have a zombie baby in it didn't it anyway horrific anyway and where were we up to yeah so Stephen kills the undead with a mini sledgehammer and you start to see he's got a little bit of grit about him because before then he's he's kind of he's the the guy who's quite not nerdy nerdy's the wrong word but he's obviously the other two guys 
Peter and Roger are like SWAT guys. They know exactly what they're doing. He's a lot more out of his, out of his depth. Um, Stephen in this, or Flyboy as they call him. And a zombie come, comes up to Roger because he's refueling, but obviously he can't hear because the blades are going. And a zombie gets gets their head taken off by the rotor blades. And, I mean, to be fair, you can actually see the blood, like, pumped pipes going up his legs as he falls, but I'll let them off because it's such a cool effect, to be fair. When you watch the behind-the-scenes documentary, they, they built up on this guy's forehead, and then they got a guy to run with fishing wire, and it, like, unraveled the head and whipped it off, and then they digitally added the rotor blades in later. So it looks like these rotor blades take the guy's head off, and then they pump these two guys behind the boxes, pump you know, the fake blood out the top of his head. So it's, it's a really cool, practical effect by Tom Savini. You know, it would probably all be CGI nowadays. Which, you know, CGI is great, but I, I, I'm one of the, these people who believes it should be there to support, you know, what's physically there or to remove things, you know, wires or this, that, and the other. Not, not to computer generate whole cities or towns because it, you know, some some practical effects age fantastically. The Jurassic Park. Oh, my head's gone there. <laughs> uh, your Jurassic Park's a great example of that. Terminator Two. That's the other one I was trying to think of. Judgment Day. That those effects have aged very very well. But all the films, you know, the effects, as my friend would say, they age like milk. They don't age well at all. And you know, you do wonder in ten or fifteen years what what the what the effects of the Marvel films and that kind of are gonna look like. I've no doubt they'll still stand up, but you know, how good will will they look? You know, Blade, the Blade trilogy, that that's a good example of a film where the the good films, but the CGI was just on the cusp of where it was still a little bit ropey. Whereas now it looks awful, especially in the first Blade. You know. But not not to take away, I, I will forgive a film if it's decent for a few, you know, dodgy effects because you can only work with what you've got at the time. As long as it's got a good story behind it, you can you can forgive a film a lot, really. So, you know, so basically after, where was I up to? This is what happens. I end up just, this is why I make notes. Start jabbering away. And I end up miles away talking about something completely different. And I forget what I was originally talking about. I get that. I get that a lot at work and from people I know that I, I start talking and all of a sudden they're like, Sean, bring it back. Bring it back. What are we talking about? So I'll need to bring it back. Yeah. Okay. So basically this is the scene where Stephen tries to, to help Peter and he nearly shoots him because he, he shoots through a zombie that, that's trying to attack Peter. And Peter says to him, look, you know, it's not nice to have a gun pointed at you. And he points it back at him. And then they take off. And the helicopter goes to the refueled. And then they fly over this, you know, and, and I think Roger says, what the hell is it? Because obviously this is 1970s shopping malls or shopping centres. They weren't commonplace. So he says, you know, what the, what the hell is it? And he says, oh, it's a shopping centre, one of those big indoor malls. And, you know, this is where the film really starts to notch up the social commentary upon consumerism, you know, because they say things like, you know, why are they here? 
you know, and it's some kind of instinct, memory. This was an important place in their lives. It makes that clear. In in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, they go there because there's people there, really. But in for most of it, in the in the original, in this film, it makes it clear that they're going there because it's somewhere their instinct tells them they want to go. Which is it tragic, really, isn't it? You know, the fact that you're undead and your instinct tells you to go and try and shop. It's a bit, you know, it's not as plain as that, obviously. I'm, I'm doing the film's message of disservice with that one, but I was trying to be funny. Let me off. And, you know, they, they're they breaking at the... Because they land on the roof, they break in, and they find out it's safe to safe to rest. It's still got storage. Start, not storage. It's still got power, power on. Because you see in the beginning of the film, the power started to fail a little bit. And I think it's Peter who says, oh, it must be nuclear in this area, which obviously should keep running. And because it's not going to run out, I think it... Although I know I know nuclear reactors and nuclear power stations can shut themselves down on their own, just in case something like this did happen when everybody disappeared. Anyway. And... They find the security officer to get the keys, the walkie-talkies, and they turn on all the power. So the music comes on, the fountains come on, the automatic doors come on, the escalators. And you also get this with these podcasts as well, just pedantic, pointless lists. Like, why did I have to tell you that? All those little lists. I just said they turn on the power. didn't have to list everything that goes under there. Um, so, and it's it, this is where you get a little bit of the dark comedy starts creeping. Because you have undead falling into wishing well pools and they're on escalators looking really confused as to why they're moving. And I mean, it's quite funny. Um, but these, obviously, these are, you know, shuffling or slow-moving zombies. They're not like the zombies that we see in... I mean, I know they don't call them zombies and I don't think technically they're undead. But it's not like they infected in, you know, 28 Days Later or, you know, in the remake Dawn of the Dead 2004 where they, they run. Although I, I don't know, I do prefer running zombies. I think they're more creepy. But as George Romero apparently said, somewhere I read this, when he saw Dawn that he liked it, but he disagreed with them running because he said, you know, death's not a health drink. It's not an energy drink, which I quite liked. And, you know, so they run around them. Well, the... the Peter and Roger run around them, do a kind of hit and run on the shops. Because although there's undead in the actual shopping mall, they're not in all the shops because the shops are all bought, uh, shuttered. And they, this is interesting because they, they had to add a scene due to a continu continuity error. So uh, that's the famous scene where Roger um, screwdrivers an undead's head, basically. And because there was the same way he slid down the escalator and then the middle section, which you can't do anymore because they put those studs there. And rumoured apparently because of this film. And as it, he has in the next shot, he, he didn't have this jacket that he tied around his waist. So they came up with that whole scene, that iconic death of and the, a brilliant practical effect, just because they needed to explain the fact of why. You know, it's easier to put a new scene in, scene in than it is to reshoot a whole, a whole load of scenes because obviously they, sh they shoot films out of uh, out of order, out of sequence. Some films, so rarely do films film in sequence, not very often. 
and I cannot think of a think of an example there. And for once, so basically, the there's the there is an interesting scene. I, I picked up a lot more watching it this time because this is this is a film I've seen before. I just hadn't seen it in quite a few years. I thought it would be an interesting film to talk about. I think I've been guilty in the, in the past couple of the podcasts, maybe not touching the void, but definitely Twister in picking films that the you know they're good to watch, but then there's not an awful lot to analyse. So especially me, I, I tend to talk through the plot in my own hopefully unique way, and hopefully an interesting way, and then you, I wasn't okay, it wasn't very long. You, there wasn't a lot to dive into, so I picked this film for that reason, and it's a good film. I enjoy watching it, and I hadn't seen it in a while, so why not? And there's a scene where Roger and Peter are at the door. Uh, they're, they're at like this, because it's not glass, it's like a plexiglass. So they're banging on the witsy. Again, pointless information. Who needs to know that? They're stood and they're banging. That's why I explained it, because the, the, otherwise if it was glass, it would shatter with all the undead on the other side anyway. So they're banging and they're making all this noise to get the zombies to come to the top you know, the second floor so they can get out of the first floor because they've got shops in these malls, obviously, across a few floors. You know, some Primarchs, Jesus, they go across about four floors, don't they? And that bit where they're saying, you know, come on over here, and, you know, they're shouting and it, it, to get the zombies' attention, that, that, that felt like a statement upon how shops try and entice customers, you know, I might be wrong, but it did, it did have that feel of, you know, come over here. Because you do get that sometimes in shops. Well, obviously, you don't stand at the window and shout at you. But, um, they, you know, they've got their offers and adverts and all that kind of thing. And you see Flyboy, who goes to the this kind of engine room area. And there's a security guard that, I don't know where he was earlier when Peter and Roger went through there. But, um, and he, well, he's, he's dead, by the way, the security guard. And he goes after Flyboy, and Flyboy's just shooting at shadows. That's a really cool scene because he can't figure out where the guy is. And it's dark, and the lighting's really, really good. And, you know, he drops his bullets, and he only manages to put a few in before the zombie grabs him. So he drops the rest. Then he's sat there trying to shoot the zombie, and the gun's just clicking, like, as he tries to shoot until finally he gets to. You know where he's put the put the bullet in, and he survives that one. And so after that part, deals. Uh, so yeah, so it deals with that situation. So they managed to to get themselves back into this upper area because they initially think they're just going to stay there, and. Uh, they're, they're going to stay there and just basically just get a meal and then and then be on their way. And I think it dawns on them that actually, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot here. There's a lot here that we can we can use. We can stay here. We can be safe, as safe as you can be. And but before they get back, a Harry Krishna zombie has, has gone back up towards Fran, who's obviously waiting and waiting upstairs. And that's really creepy because the tambourine and the the bells are jingling as this zombie makes its slow way up the stairs. And 
then there's even more um, because they, later on they, they figure out when they're with Stephen, they figure out that Stephen figures out for them that there's there is a network of, of ventilation shafts running around the store so they can get out that way. They don't have to keep going into the main thoroughfare, if you like, where, where all young dead are. And, you know, I think it's Peter who says, oh, one-stop shopping, everything you need right at your fingertips. Because obviously everything's there for them to take whatever they want. But I think that that is a a good point upon consumerism. In the 70s, let alone now, I mean, God, now you've got delivery services, online ordering, you can pre-order for collection, you can check to see if they've got things in stock in your local shop or your local department store. You can order things to come and you can, or, you know, you click and collect. And so there's that, there's that as well. Obviously, something that's carried over from the, the original Night of the Living Dead, uh, the original Night of the Living Dead, that is that the undead don't like fire because they use those like pocket blow torches. And there's a part there where this is something that seems to get lost later on in zombie films. And what was I going to say? Yeah, so uh, this is something that seems to get lost in in kind of the zombie genre that they're frightened of, uh, frightened of fire. And apologies, the door slam. And you get, um, you know, Galen Ross refused to scream. So she said, no, you know, Fran's a strong female character. I'm, I'm not going to scream. You know, and and, it, and she didn't throughout the film. Obviously, this is pre-Aliens, pre-Sigourney Weaver, pre-any kind of a film where the, I wouldn't say any film because I don't, I'm, my encyclopedia is not that vast, but certainly before a female was the protagonist in terms of, you know, she was action and all that kind of thing. And, you know, there's discussions about things that you wouldn't think would be in a film like this. So there's a, dis- well, it's not so much a discussion, but it's kind of mooted and then it doesn't, you know, there's a discussion about abortion, you know, that Fran's pregnant by Stephen, obviously. And I think Peter says to him, you know, do you want to keep it? I know how I get rid of it. And I mean, that obviously you can see from the, that it, it doesn't really go that far because, but you can tell both of them are thinking, "God, what a world to bring, to bring a kid, uh, to bring a baby into." You know, you. I mean, how could you possibly? You know, anyway, how could you possibly deal with that? And, and obviously, she she's a very strong female character, Fran. At the beginning, she's, she you know she's, she's quite quiet and she's just a tag along really, and most films that would be how she stayed, especially. Uh, of this time the females weren't really sure i mean look at the original night of the living dead the the woman in that barbara she screams her head off in about the first 20 minutes then goes catatonic and doesn't do anything for the rest of it and anyway so so fran she says to me i'm not going to be dead mother to you to you three no i want to know what's going on i want to be part of it there's four of us you know, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I'm useless. Well, she, obviously, she's not as blunt as that, but that's essentially what she's saying. And she says, look, I want to learn how to fly because if something happens to Stephen, how are we supposed to get out of here? And that's the start of a few good uh, a few of good suggestions she gives. She's clearly intelligent. 
you can see when she's in the newsroom at the beginning that she's not somebody to be messed with. She knows what she's doing. The fact is a woman's irrelevant or should be irrelevant. But uh, obviously of the time she, you know, she comes up against these expectations and she's pregnant. So, you know, they're trying to kind of mollycoddle her and she's not having any of it. And there's another part where she makes a suggestion to use one of the cars. And she, she does make good suggestions throughout to them. And there's also, a, a, and the banter between, you know, the three, the, all of them, particularly Roger and Peter. So there's banter where they, they decide to, to cover the entrances with trucks and basically clean the place up of, of the undead. And the banter between them, they, they, they have, you know, they have a, they take the mick out of each other over radios and take the mick out of each other's height because I think Scott Reiniger, he was five foot six, five foot six, five foot seven, something like that. Whereas Ken Ferrer is like six foot four, six foot five. So there's a massive gap. In fact, it it, it almost worked against Scott because he, George Merritt apparently didn't want to cast him because he said, look, the, the height difference will put people off. Whereas Scott said, well, look, after the first 15 minutes, no one's going to care about that. No one's going to pay attention to it. But that whole scene between them bantering about uh, that each other's height and things that is was all improvised, and it's it's a great um, it's a great uh, scene that it's very very funny. So see see what I mean. So we're twenty nine minutes in, and we we we're what? Oops, sorry about that. We're about two. Yeah, we're about two pages in. So we will. Let's have a look. So. Yeah, okay. So that's where we get up to. So if you'd, uh, thanks for listening. If you'd like to come back and listen to part two of the Dawn of the Dead review, please do. If you could go to Podchaser and give this uh, podcast a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. Just gives me a chance to, to find out how I'm doing and what you guys would like to hear. So catch me in part two. Thanks.